Man, it's good. It's good to be here today. Um, I feel like Christmas and, and, and everything like should be, like the inclination should be easy for us to worship during this time of year because it's, it's not that difficult to get behind like a beautiful little baby being born, being born in a manger. Like that's, that's not something that a ton of people are going to object to. Like that should be a this should be kind of low-hanging fruit, so to speak, for us during this time of year. Because I, I understand, like, if we didn't grow up in the church, um, man, I understand that just the theological pursuit of God can be difficult. I understand that just even trying to, to work out the way that you grew up versus the, the, the rhythms of grace, that can be complicated, and it can be, it can be hard sometimes. It's all good, and they're worthy pursuits. But, like, this time of year, man, I think there's such a beautiful simplicity that rests with a baby in a manger, you know, it's just like God came down to us, for us, with us, and, and it's just, it should be one of those times to where worship should come, not necessarily naturally, because it is a supernatural exchange, but like a little bit easier. So I hope you guys are, are able to do that with us today and during this time of year. Um, today, our Advent schedule, comparing to the, the candle lighting, is a little off today because we got started a week late, kind of a deal with because uh, we, were, we were gone that last week of November. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about one word, but it, it's not joy. It should bring joy, but it's not joy. Um, and I was going to play a clip from the classic Christmas movie, Elf. I was going to play just one of two scenes that just really, man, they really drive it home. And it's in which uh, the people with uh, Greenfield Publishing, they're sitting around a table. It is Greenfield Publishing, right? Isn't that the publishing company? Yeah, they're sitting around a table. They're discussing a story idea and man elf walks in, Buddy the Elf, and he just exclaims, I'm in love and I'm in love and I don't care who knows it, and flings his super warm hat against the wall and I can see it. And then there's some really embarrassing, awkward moments that follow. Um, and, but still, right there, like he throws out just this idea of love. And just, you know, a couple scenes earlier, he had been in that same office or that same office building declaring that, you know, I'm standing here and I'm singing, singing, I love you, I love you, I love you. Today we're talking about, that's all horrible, but we're talking about this idea of love. Like, I'm, like I said to the guys a minute ago, I'm, I'm kind of all jacked up without a tire to change this morning, so um, you're going to be my tire today. Uh, but just, we're going to talk about love. Like, I think if we look at the grand scheme of things, and I don't want to sound overly cheesy, but it comes out sometimes. Like, I think if we look in the scope of the gifts that God has given us, and if we imagine that they're sitting under a perfectly groomed, manicured, well-lit, tastefully decorated tree, and we think about some of the biggies that God gifted us, like, I think love has to be one of the biggest boxes with the biggest bows under there. Because it's just, like, if we think about it, um, you know, the, the phrase that love makes the world go round, we can see it. Like, every great 80s ballad was based on love, and we know that was the best decade for music because guitar solos were the best then, and now people have just become lazy, and they're not willing to give eight or ten bars to a guitar solo, so shame on them. So every great 80s ballad was based on love, you know, even questioning it or declaring it in good and bad ways, but either way, love. You know, poetry through the annals of history has to be based on love. There's a, there's a channel on, you know, most cable networks called Hallmark, and even if their perceptions of love are way off, like every movie they make is based on some idea of love. Uh, then we have like one, one holiday dedicated to it in which all, most of the candy in the United States is sold on one of three holidays, and this is one of those days, like Valentine's Day, based on love. And so most of those go to like the romantic side of love, but still, it's all coming from the same place. It's all inspired from the same place. Uh, this morning, what I want us to do, uh, and it's just, it's normally not my, not my MO of just 
the way that I, I view and teach and learn from Scripture, but today we're just going to kind of take a survey of, of this love, of like what is it that makes it one of the biggest boxes under the tree with the biggest bow perfectly wrapped, unlike anything that I wrap, because when I wrap it, it you know, generally somebody's like, did an eight-year-old wrap that? No, 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 it was me. Um, but like this is that one, you know, one of those biggies. And so today we're going to talk about that. And so the first thing I want us to do, I've got a lot of passages, so if you're going to be turning, it is going to be like a Bible drill. Uh, but you are free to sit and just read as they'll be on the screen. I'm not even going to turn to all of them. I'm going to turn to a few of them, um, but they're going to pop up, and there's about a dozen of them. And so let's start here. Probably the most memorable verse that we have in Scripture, uh, John 3.16, and a lot of your Bibles is going to be in red letters because Jesus said it. It was in a conversation with Nicodemus, and he, he just says it. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The first thing is we're doing kind of a survey on love in Scripture. The first thing that we need to understand is that God's love was on display in Jesus. Like, we have to see this. Like, if we're understanding how big of a gift it is and how amazing it is, we have to accept this fact readily that God's love was on display in Jesus. Like, we go to the next passage in 1 John. It uses slightly bigger words, and it says, In this the love of God was made manifest. We'll talk about that in a second. Made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Same idea as John 3.16, but just saying, look, uh, God's love actually put skin on and walked around with us. Very similar idea to, to, for, to John chapter 1. Same writer saying that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. There was nothing made that the Word did not make. And we know that's not talking about a typed Word or a written Word, but it's, it's logos. It's actually God with skin on, God with us, Emmanuel from, from Messianic prophecy. And so what we have to say and understand about love is we have to see that it was perfectly on display in the person, in the walk, in the words, in Jesus. And so when we look to him, like we can see a ton of things in Jesus. Like we can see that, that he lived out the law to the letter because we couldn't. We can see that in the words of First John that he was the propitiation or the price for our sins. But I think above all, like during this time of year, it's simple to look at a baby in a manger, and we have to understand that that baby laying there that grew up in the perfection of God and man, that lived out the law, that died my death, man, he was God's love walking around. He was God's love like on display, not just for uh, the Hebrew world to see, but for the Gentile world to see, not just for the world around that zero AD, which is really strange to think about, but for all eternity to see. He was God's love walking around for us to see, all of us. And then if we go to John 15, chapter, chapter 15, 13 through 15, um, it just says this. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, and you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants or slaves, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So not only was Jesus walking around on display of God's love, but he was also beginning living that out to show us what true love looked like. And he says, look, this is the biggest love that you'll ever see, someone being willing to lay it all down for one of their friends. And he looked at his disciples and he said, guess what? You're my friends. You're my friends. If we're accepting this idea that Jesus was God's love walking around among us, we also have to begin to accept that he wasn't just walking around among us so that we could see it, but he was walking around among us so that we could see it and learn what it looks like so that we could do it, so that we could do it. 
And Jesus said the greatest display of this is the fact that a true friend, someone that really, really loves, is willing to lay it all down for someone that they love. And see, this is what begins to happen if we begin to look at love the way Scripture portrays it. And we talked about it in the first half of the First John series that we were looking at, like uh, the terms in which God used, the way that He describes love is going to be very contrary to the way that our culture is going to describe love. Because to, to us, and, and it is this, but it's not complete, like love is a feeling, it's an emotion, it's the butterflies, it's all those things that come along with it. Sometimes that's just bad food that you had, but otherwise, like it's very similar, like it's all of those things, but it's so much more. Like, it's, it's, it's deeper, it's more lasting, it is, it's more covenant-based than it is emotion-based. It's more, man, it's eternal when we look at it well. And Jesus was that walking around, but he was also showing us what it looked like. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, continuing the same idea that we see uh, in 1 John, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The other thing that we see about when Jesus was walking around on display is God's love. And while he said, I will die for my friends, the other thing that it says too is he will die for the undeserving. Most of the time our love is very merit-based. Most of the time, our love needs to be earned. Most of the time, our love needs to be explained. This is unexplainable. This, is, this does not match with the way that my love forms. It's not normal. It's not man-made. It's not cultivated. It's grace-based. It's mercy-driven. And this is unusual. It's odd. It's unique in the sense that the only person that could really do it, the only person that could really display it, the only person that could really teach it primarily was the man, Jesus. The man, Jesus, who is also God, which is just like we talked about last week. Everything about this is mind-boggling, mind-blowing, just not normal and explainable. It is way, way out there beyond reason. But again, that's grace. That's mercy. That's Jesus. So the first thing, if we're looking in this box, we have to understand that Jesus was God's love on display. The things he said, the things he did, uh, the way that he died for people. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. So not only did he show us what it looked like, not only did he display what it looked like. This may feel self-explanatory, but the second thing about love that we also need to understand is that God, through Jesus, actually taught us who to love. So not just how to love and not just what love looks like, but he actually began to unwrap. Jesus, in his words, in his life, in his speech, he actually began to say, okay, I am love, you're seeing it right now, but I'm going to tell you uh, who you are to love. Like, who do you love? Because I think, again, we, we choose who we love, like, right? Like, we want to choose who gets our love and who does not get our love. We definitely want to put up boundaries in our life if we want to and say, my love is for them, but definitely not for them but, but here's, here's Jesus' words, okay? Starting in Matthew 22, 34 through 38, um, we talk about this a ton because it's, it's so incredibly pertinent to the way that we live. But Matthew 22, verses 34 through 38, uh, the Pharisees, we'll, we'll just go ahead and read it and let it fill in all the blanks. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, believe it or not, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, a rabbi, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great 
in the first commandment. If we're relying on Jesus to inform what we know about love, we're looking at love, walking around in him, we're looking at the greatest display of love, but if we're trusting in his words for him to tell us who we love, the first thing he says is you should, you should love God with everything you got. If you're looking to me for love, I'm, I'm telling you, love the Lord your God with everything you have. From the bottom of your foot to the top of your head, everything gooey in, the, in between and everything just, you know, that's kind of out there, extemporaneous, your soul. Love God with all of that. And that's the most important thing. But again, contrary to our perception, like generally the, the bulk of my love, the primary attention of my love is not upward, it's not around, it's generally very inward. You know, because I'm born loving myself more than I'm loving anyone else. That's just the way that we're born. It's the result of sin. It's the result of fall. Now, the fingerprint still rests on us that, that there is a bent towards worship. We are driven towards that somehow. There's this, this uh, unworded yearning for us to worship something bigger, higher. We put it in words. We, again, we hear it in country music. We hear it in everything that there's always this bent, this leaning towards worship. But Jesus is clarifying. He's like, look, your first, your primary, your most important love even from a commandment based, is love the Lord your God with everything you have. And by him saying that, he's saying, don't love yourself more, don't love anyone else more, God, most, foremost, primary. If we're trusting in love with skin on, God with us, Emmanuel, to show us what love looks like, we also have to trust in him to tell us where we place that love. And he said, first and foremost, love the Lord your God. Now, there's a lot tied up in that. I mean, especially where it landed right here, and even with the questions of the Pharisee, it's big, but we're just going to make it as simple as possible today. If we're looking to Jesus to tell us what this is, he says, love the Lord your God with everything you have, all of it. Secondly, even in this same passage, right after he says that, he says, this is the great commandment, verse 38, but verse 39, and he said, second is like it, or second to it, or, or on the same page, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he says, primarily, first, foremost, love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And even him saying, Lord, your God, means not only are you loving him, but you're also submitting to him. But secondly, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say love your neighbor just slightly less than yourself. No, he says love your neighbor as yourself. Just like you love yourself and you want what's best, love your neighbor in the exact same way. And we even see that another lawyer in another place in Scripture actually questioned him and said, but yeah, but who does that mean? Who really is my neighbor? That's not the question today. The question is, do we do it? Do I do it? Do you do it? Do we, as a collective, do we do it? Not asking who's our neighbor, because look, in the plainest sense of this, neighbor means anyone that is around us relationally and proximally, they are our neighbor. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter what they do. If they're around us relationally, proximally, they are our neighbor. They fit the definition, and Jesus says, love them the same way that you love yourself. Just as much as you love yourself, and we've already said in our broken form, we love ourselves almost exclusively best until Jesus comes in and, comes in and wrecks stuff. But the way that we love ourselves, the way that we want the best for ourselves, the way that we want hopefully grace displayed for ourselves, we should want that for our neighbor. And so that means that, man, if our neighbor has a need, we fix it. That means that if our neighbor has a yearning, hopefully if we're able, we meet it. That means if our neighbor has a need that is eternal, we speak to it. We want for them what we want for ourselves. And I'll be honest, what I want for myself is to be eternally united with God here, and then for the rest of eternity, I should want that for my neighbor too, and everything in between. And sometimes I have to build a bridge even to get to that conversation with my neighbor. Man, we're going to talk about that a lot in 2021. How is it that we get to the gospel with our neighbors? But man, in the meantime, we have to understand it starts with we want them to know 
what the love of God looks like because that's what we want for ourselves. And if we want that for me, we have to want that for them. We love our neighbors as ourselves. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus had just washed uh, the disciples' feet. He had just taken on the form of a servant. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And then in verses 34 through 35, he says, A new commandment that I give to you, that you are to love one another. That wasn't the, the biggest idea of this. They had heard this from way back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, times of Deuteronomy. That's what we'll go with. They had heard that from way back then. But now he says, you are to love one another the same way in which I've loved you. And so not only do we love God with everything that we have, not only do we love our neighbor, but he brings it in a little bit closer and he says, now I'm telling you about the one another's, those also who have been saved by grace through faith. When you look at them, you need to love them the way that I've loved you. So we love God, we love our neighbor, but then we love the family. And we love the family the same way in which Christ loved the family and loved us. And man, we already talked about that. Like he's walking around with skin on as a display of love, but also he says, man, there's no greater love than this, than someone should lay down his life for his friends. If we are loving one another as Christ loves us, man, what all does that entail? Everything all the way through death. And you're like, man, that's not love, that's craziness. Well, Jesus calls it love. He says we're to love each other like that, everything all the way through death. If it costs us everything, that's how we love one another. And man, that's crazy talk. That is, that is, that is extensive, really, really big biblical notion love. But it's what Jesus said. If we're trusting him to show us what God looks like, show us what God's love looks like, if we're trusting his words to teach us, how do we do it? If we're trusting his life to show us how it was done, we also have to be trusting him when he tells us who do we love. And that's what he says. You shall love one another just as I have loved you. And again, I think Christmas time is an easy way for us to start doing that. You know, we get to celebrate this little baby in a manger. Everybody oohs and ahs over a baby. But man, we also have great opportunity to love one another. Man, it's an easy time. It's a time in which our, our purse is a little more open than normal. You know, we're a little more giving because it's the season of giving. So, you know, we're willing to do that. But maybe it's not just mon monetary. Maybe it's other things. Maybe, man, maybe we've got somebody in our midst and, and, and you know them well and you know that their marriage is just like rocky. You speak to them. You love them. You do what you can. It doesn't mean that it's going to fix it, but the bulk of it is that we do what we can. We speak to them. We love them. We pray for them. Maybe someone's just going through crazy loss right now. We, we go. We sit. We pray. We do whatever we need to do. It's going to cost us time. It may cost us work hours. It may cost us, but we love one another as Christ loved us. Maybe during this season of giving, let it be a time in which it's a little bit easier to do that. Start these practices now. But here's the funny thing. Jesus wasn't done with love the Lord your God or Shema Yisrael, love the Lord your God with all that you have. He wasn't done saying love your neighbors yourself. And he wasn't even finished after saying love one another as I've loved you. He adds to it and he makes it even harder. In Matthew chapter 5, during the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus fills in some blanks. And he just says this. He says, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute so that, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, uh, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect or complete with a complete understanding of what it looks like. He says, not only do you love the Lord your God with everything you have, not only do you love your neighbors yourself, not only do you love one another as I have loved you, but you need to go out and love those who hate you. Good grief, Jesus. Why do you vex us so? But that's what he says. He's like, even those who hate you and even those who persecute you. Even those who would not just put you in jail, but put you under the jail, you love them too. For their hope is the same hope that is yours. Their hope is the same hope that is yours. The grace that was meant for all people, literally meant for all people who would believe. And even some of those people could be the ones that hate your guts and want to see you ruined. And Jesus makes it hard. He sets a very high bar. But understand, if we're trusting his example for what love looks like, Man, he did it for you. He did it for me. And according to the wholeness of Scripture, we were enemies with God because of our sin. We were at odds with God. We were strangers and aliens to God. Mm. Yeah. So Jesus taught us who to love, not just what love looks like. The third thing is this, and this is the part that I think we have to, we have to see is like, in this same box. This is one of those boxes that it's not just a gift with one item in it, but it's one of those that your parents plays great tricks on you with. You know, you, you open a box and there's another box and another box and another box. Uh, those are really fun. But anyway, attached to this idea of love, we also have to understand that we're completely and utterly incapable of this. Like, because Jesus is not giving us an instruction manual as to how to love. No, he's giving us an example as to what it looks like. But here's, here's the catch. None of it would be possible without the spirit that comes and lives inside of us. Not a bit. Like you're saying, you're telling me that love doesn't exist apart from God? No, I'm not saying that because obviously there are those who, who do not follow Jesus and yet they love their spouse, they love their kids. They would even say that it's approaching unconditional love. But this type of love that we're looking at is more, it's bigger, it's longer, it's more eternal. It has more ramifications. It has more repercussions. It is just more. Again, going back to the idea that true love looks like this, someone that is willing to lay down everything, sacrifice all for their friends. Like, that's not normal. And so if we look at 1 Corinthians 2.12, uh, it's going to go further support this idea that now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. If we are trusting that this love is a huge gift from God to us, we have to understand that by grace through faith, the spirit that has come to live in us as a seal and as a convictor and as a guide, it's that spirit that makes us qualified, able, and capable to love like Jesus. Because he looked at him, he said, love one another the way that I have loved you. We would not understand what that even looks like without the Spirit of God in us, indwelling in us, teaching us, guiding us, pushing us, pulling us. In this box of love, we have to understand that it wouldn't be possible without the Spirit of God that was granted to us so that we could understand the ways of God. Jesus is not giving us an instruction manual. He's giving us an example and saying, now when the Spirit comes in you, this is what you can do. This is what you'll be capable of. This is what you get to do as a result of by grace through faith. We get to love like Jesus. We get to love those whom he loves, even if they hate him. We get to love like Jesus. We get to understand that grace is poured out on the just and the unjust. We get to display that. But man, apart from God, apart from the spirit that comes to live in us, we, we couldn't do it. 
And I know that there'll be arguments. I know that people will, will fight for this. But even Galatians 5.22, it even tells us, like in the very beginning of the fruits of the Spirit, what is the very first thing that it says? It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, comma. Now, we know the rest of them, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all those. But the very first thing it starts off, it says the fruit of the Spirit, the thing that comes out of you as a result of the Spirit, the thing that hangs off the tree, that is evidence that the tree has life, the first is love. Man, it's a result of the Spirit that lives in me. It's a result of the Spirit that lives in you. It's not a result of your humanity. It's a result of divinity that gets to come and dwell in us. Man, that's crazy. So not only does God's Spirit seal us to God, glue us to God, never to be separated or cleaved away by anything, but it also equips us and empowers us to love like Jesus, to love like God. The times that we choose not to, that's volitional on our part, and we can call that disobedience, we can call that sin. It's both of those things. But he said, look, here, here are your marching orders. Here's the equipping empowerment that you need. Now go and do. You've seen Jesus do it. You get to do the same thing. Go. Go. So when we choose not to, it's not because my shortcomings. No, it's because I chose not to. It's disobedience. Because he's told us what to do. And as a result of the Spirit, we get to choose to do it, to live in obedience. In Galatians 3.5, it's not up there, but again, it's just reminding us that the Spirit comes through faith. It's not a a thing of earning. It's not a thing of working towards it. It's no, it's by grace through faith. It's part of this supernatural exchange. And I want to read two more passages. If you still are on the fence um, about whether or not love is an empowerment by God or it's it's something man-made, I want to read this. But before I read this, I want you to be objective. We're going to read out a list of what love looks like. We hear this passage at weddings all the time, but it's just giving us a description of love. And this is the question that you need to ask yourself before we read it. Am I, in my born state, would I be capable of doing this? Okay, that's it. Would I really be capable of doing this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see this, this beautiful definition of what love is, the way that it plays itself out. And the question is, could I do this? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Answer me this. Could you love like that apart from Jesus? There's no flipping way. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's no way. Like, let's be honest. There's no stinking chance that we could love like that apart from Jesus. Anecdotal evidence at best, but it's also firmly backed up by Scripture. There's no way that our love could work like this without the empowerment, the enabling, the equipping, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's no chance. It couldn't happen. If you've been a spouse for a year, you know it couldn't happen. If you've been a parent for a week, you know that it couldn't happen. If you've been a friend for a day to someone that drives you crazy like fingernails on a chalkboard, you know it's not possible. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. Not part of the time, but it does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerating what was broken and fixing what it was ailing. We can't do it by ourselves. This is a gift of God that he says, now go and love like I have. We could not do that apart from the gift of Jesus. 
And if you think you could, you are a liar. If I think I could, I am a liar. Because love is bigger. It's stronger. It's deeper. It's wider. It's eternal. It's not subjective to our emotions. It's not bending to our wills and our whims. It's of God, through God, to God, and in the glory of God. Because it's Him. Because it's Him. 1 John 4.19 is the last thing I'll read. Simple. Clean. We love because He loved us first. We didn't create it. We didn't engineer it. We didn't come up with this notion of what it looks like to be nice. We love because He loved us first. If it wasn't for His love on display through the person, the work, the words, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, we would be incapable of this kind of love. It wouldn't happen. But now as a result of Jesus, as a result of the reason for all of this, the world is depending on us to love like Him. The world is depending on us to be patient and kind, to not envy or boast, to not be irritable or a jerk. The world is depending on us to love like Jesus because through that love, they get to see the very person, the very work, the very mission that's enabled us, Jesus. So it's a big box. It's a big box under the tree. And in that box, man, there's a mission, there's an empowering agent of the Spirit, and there's Jesus. There's Jesus. God, for us to say today that we love you in light of what you've done feels cheap. To me, it, it just, it feels, some days it feels cheap to say that I love you because when I say those words of love, God, I realize that my model for that is Jesus. That my driving force for that is a spirit that I don't understand and that I often disagree with. But God, today I pray that we can say that and truly mean it, that we love you. To the best of the supernatural ability that you've placed in us, we love you. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through him we got to see your very nature. Uh, we can trust in his words that when we saw him, we saw you. God, I thank you that we got to see your love on display. God, I thank you that Jesus knew that we would need to be told who we could love, who we should love. And it basically covers everybody. From those who love us back to those who hate us just because we're yours. And God, I thank you that you didn't leave us to our own devices to create this, to engineer this, to enable ourselves, but you chose to equip us. You chose to empower us. You chose to give us yourself. Thank you, God, for love. I pray that during this season, when it seems easier than the rest of the time of the year maybe, God, I pray that we would do it well. I pray that we would do it even if it costs us. I pray that it would do it even if it's unreturned. God, I pray that we would do it for your glory, for your kingdom, and because of your majesty. God, we love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.